What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. During the summer when the weather gets hot, I can only imagine how much time you plan to spend outside with friends or alone on your couch with that AC blasting. AT&T 5G and home internet keeps you connected so you can enjoy all the summertime vibes. Whether you're sharing pics from a rooftop, video calling your friends from an outdoor concert, or streaming your favorite show episode after episode. So stay connected to your favorite people and your favorite things with AT&T 5G and home internet. AT&T 5G requires compatible plan and device. Coverage not available everywhere. Learn more at att.com slash 5G for you. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? So you know I love a good ATM story, right? <laughs> like we, we, we've talked about ATMs so many times in the past. Like there's the ATM in the Vatican City, and it's the only one in the world that operates in Latin, which is pretty cool. But I have a new favorite ATM fact that I wanted to share oh, with yeah? you. Oh, yeah? What's that? So there's actually an ATM located in Antarctica, and it's operated by Wells Fargo, and it's in the Guinness Book, and, and they call it the world's loneliest ATM. Why is it so lonely? Because it's the only one. Actually, <laughs> there is a second ATM on hand, and it's hidden in a closet or something. And it, it doesn't actually work. It's just there to cannibalize for the spare parts. <laughs> That's and, so sad. <laughs> but what's even weirder is that Wells Fargo only services the machine once every two years. And that's when Wells sends a repairman out to give the ATM a little checkup. That's crazy. So uh, why don't they service it more frequently? Like, don't they have to replenish the cash? Well, that's the beauty of banking in Antarctica. There's no need for this. You know, the population there is so small that the money just keeps recirculating. But learning about that ATM did make me wonder, like, what are the other peculiarities of living in Antarctica? How do everyday things like plumbing and Internet work down there? And that's what today's show is all about. So let's dive in. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Hatikader. And sitting behind the soundproof glass, vigorously shaking a snow globe in each hand, is our producer, <laughs> Tristan McNeil. Where did he get those things? Oh, he's making it blizzard. <laughs> so, Mango, I- I'm going to ask you right off the bat, what- what's your interest in visiting the South Pole? So, I-, I mean, it looks beautiful, but there's so many beautiful places in the world, and you know I hate the cold. Yeah, I do too. Plus, some of those early expeditions to Antarctica sounded so miserable, it's kind of scared me off. I know. And I actually want to talk a little bit about those expeditions later. And clearly, we both like warm weather because we live in warm places. But I kind of want to see the landscape in person at least once. So I started looking up tours this week, and I found this group called White Desert Luxury Tours. Have you ever heard of this company? No. 
because they basically do, you know, like glamping for Antarctica. What? So how do you glamp in Antarctica? Well, I was reading this article in Wired, and, and basically White Desert has set up these luxury camping pods in this beautiful Mars-like area of Antarctica. The pods have solar panels and propane heaters, and they're eco-friendly too. But, you know, to keep you safe, they're also designed to withstand 180-mile-per-hour winds. <laughs> That's how windy it gets there. And, you know, the pods are beautifully outfitted. But the whole camp must have cost a fortune to build. Why is that? Well, remember, getting stuff to Antarctica isn't cheap. According to the article, it costs $38 a pound to fly furniture there. And the pods themselves weigh three tons apiece. Which is insane. And and trips like that always sound like something rich people do just because they're looking for new ways to spend their money. Right. It's like God's way of telling you you have too much cash. <laughs> well, you know, the camp only services around 100 clients a year, so it's definitely exclusive. But you'd be in some pretty classy company. So, you know, past travelers include Saudi princesses, Prince William, and also... Buzz Aldrin. Wait, Buzz Aldrin glamps? Apparently so, but you know, what you experience in Antarctica is also insane. Once your Gulfstream jet lands on the icy runway, you'll get to explore neon blue ice tunnels and lakes and go on guided hikes, see penguins up close, visit all these science bases. They even take you to the South Pole. I mean, everyone who's gone says the beauty of this untouched land is just overwhelming. Plus, you get unlimited champagne. <laughs> so I, I just pulled this up on my computer. Hot showers, furs draped on all the dining chairs. It looks so fancy. I, I'm, I'm definitely in. All right. Well, the only catch is it costs $80,000 a person. <laughs> but, you know, I, I've always said I just don't like the cold that much and I have to be true to myself. So I'm out again. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't take long. <laughs> so speaking of hot showers, it, it reminded me of this event that takes place in Antarctica. It's called the Race Around the World. Basically, it's this fun two-mile race that takes place on Christmas Day at the South Pole. And it's for the scientists there. It's called Around the World because you're actually racing through every single time zone. Oh, I didn't think about that. So you would touch every single time zone. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow, that's amazing. It's pretty awesome. And, and while some people run the course, you can actually do it on skis or snowmobile. But the reason I'm mentioning it is that the prize for the winning runner is a five-minute hot shower. <laughs> so uh, according to Business Insider, residents at the South Pole Station are limited to two two-minute showers a week. So a bonus five-minute shower is like a huge treat. I guess that makes sense. I mean, it's funny how you just expect things like hot showers are everywhere by now. But you know, one of the things that's so cool about Antarctica is how environmentally friendly the camps are. The Treaty of Antarctica, which was signed by 12 countries back in 1959, it was this it was this agreement that the land there would be used for science and peaceful purposes. And part of the agreement is that you can't dirty the landscape or leave any contaminants there. In fact, if you want to organize your own expedition to Antarctica, the process involves three things. So first is showing that you will be completely self-sufficient. Second is that you have a good reason for being there. <laughs> and third is that you have little or no environmental impact on the land. And there's special attention paid to this. And if you can't lay out your plan for creating zero waste, they'll deny you permission to go there. That's pretty interesting. So I, I was actually reading about the recycling in Antarctica, and it's like at Portlandia levels. <laughs> I, I saw this spreadsheet on Boing Boing from America's McMurdo base, and they have this matrix for where to recycle or dispose of what. And it's pretty intense. Like pens and pencils have a specific bin and Drained radiators have their own bin, and mops and brooms have a bin. Wow. Everything is clearly charred out where it goes and how it gets separated. But they also poke fun at themselves. What do you mean by that? 
So uh, one prankster put all these joke signs up of what can and can't go into the bins, and they seem to have stuck around. Like, there's a recycling bin that's for glitter, and in the rules for what's recyclable glitter, it lists red glitter, blue glitter, ground unicorn horn, wizards hats and wands. <laughs> but in the no section, it lists no child beauty pageant sashes or Mariah Carey movies. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fair enough. Well, we, we sort of dove right into hot showers and glitter recycling somehow. <laughs> but you know, before we talk about things like how plumbing works, why don't we talk a little bit about who lives in Antarctica? Definitely. But why don't we do some local slang first? God, you immediately put us <laughs> off track again, but I do like Antarctic slang. So what are some of your favorites? One of my favorite terms is city mice and also country mice. Like city mice stay put on the McMurdo station while country mice wander to other camps and travel around. Well, that's pretty cute. So you got any others? Yeah, gombles are tiny snowballs that stuck to dog's fur. <laughs> so the de-gomble is when you rub that loose snow off before you come inside. <laughs> and uh, also Hollywood showers, those are when you take a fantasy shower that's more than the allotted two minutes. Oh, God. Why, why do you keep bringing up showers here? <laughs> you know, when I studied abroad in Nepal and Tibet in college, it was freezing and, and you didn't get to take hot showers that often. So I took like 10 or 11 bucket showers during the trip and they were mostly with lukewarm water. It's strange being there. Like, I, I realize there's so many things I could live without. I don't really need TV or a lot of clothes or a lot of amenities, but hot showers? Yeah. Well, when I came back to the college, I, I just stand in the shower and praise American plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand that. All right. Well, here's a bit of jargon I found on mental floss. It's ice shock. And this is the idea that no matter how crazy everything seems in Antarctica while you're there, it's this acknowledgement that the rest of the world is even crazier. Hmm. All right, but let's get back to who lives there. Obviously, Antarctica doesn't have an indigenous population. Do you know the site uh, CoolAntarctica.com? I can't say I'm familiar with that. <laughs> it's this educational site that's run by a former Antarctic marine biologist, and now he's a school teacher and puts out great information. But on his site, he writes, there are around 66 scientific bases, of which 37 are occupied year-round. Around 4,000 people live in Antarctica during the summer months, and that reduces to about 1,000 who overwinter there. It's also rare that someone will stay there for two winters in a row. They might do one winter wrapped in two summers, but two winters in a row tends to be bad for people's mental states. Uh, and so the McMurdo station actually has about like a thousand or so people during peak season, though, right? Yeah, that's right. And what's funny is that I didn't quite put together how large Antarctica is and how far some of the bases are from one another. It's apparently the fifth largest continent. And because 99.5% of it is covered in ice, the size of the continent actually changes. Like, uh, according to Live Science, the, quote, size varies through the seasons. Expanding sea ice along the coast nearly doubles the continent's size during the winter. Isn't that crazy? It nearly doubles it? That mm -hmm. is crazy. You know, and, and speaking of the geography, I was stunned by the geography. And I, I didn't realize that the land is basically all desert. You know, the inner regions of Antarctica get less than two inches of precipitation each year. I mean, this is less than the Sahara Desert. Hmm. And it's also cold there. I don't know if you knew this about Antarctica. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, the, the Russian Vostok station there recorded the lowest temperature in the world at negative 129.3 degrees Oof. Fahrenheit. I mean, I guess it's that extra 0.3 that really gets to you. Yeah, but it's cold, but it's a dry cold. Right, so right. I, I know we're supposed to be talking people and not penguins here, but one of the things I thought was funny was that the male emperor penguins are the only warm-blooded animal to stay on the continent during the freezing winters. Apparently, when the female lays an egg, it's a very wear-pregnant situation. Mm -hmm. Like, the daddy bird sits on the family egg, 
keeping it warm while the mama penguin goes out to sea for nine weeks. And, and then the moms return just before the eggs hatch, which is because, you know, male penguins are so woke. <sighs> Glad you're able to work that in. All right. Well, I actually have a funny penguin story to talk about. And I also want to discuss the crazy ways Chile and Argentina have, you know, tried to each claim part of Antarctica as their own territory. But before we get to that, let's take a quick break. All right, Mango. So how many times have we had a super talented poet on the show? Has that happened before? I don't think it's happened yet. I don't think it has either. I mean, I know Tristan dabbles a little in poetry, but I mean, between us, uh, they're, they're not the best poems, but he's trying. He's trying hard. But we're super excited to have Jen Dilling Martin on the show today. And, and as we discussed, Jen is an accomplished poet. She's an associate publisher at Riverhead, which is one of our favorite book publishers in the world. But that's not the reason we've got her on today. We actually begged her to come on because in 2013, Jen became the Antarctic artist in residence. And she used a six-week stint there to inspire her poetry. So, Jen, welcome to Part-Time Genius. Thank you so much. So, Jen, I know you're in pretty esteemed company as an artist-in-residence. I I believe Werner Herzog was also an artist there, too. But uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you got that gig and what's included? Totally. It's this incredible grant run through the National Science Foundation that they give to about two people a year from any discipline at all uh, to go make art inspired by uh, the work that you then get to witness being done in Antarctica. Uh, it is a really elaborate application process that I think weeds out 90% of the people interested in going down. You have to go through all kinds of bureaucratic paperwork to just even apply for it. But once accepted, you get to, I mean, you get to lead the coolest life imaginable. You get to go to any of the base camps that interests you. You can ask the scientists any questions you want of them. You get to travel all around the continent. I, I got a helicopter pilot, Ryan, to take me. Um, to different base camps, and <laughs> basically it's just like the most incredible experience that I will ever have in my life. So uh, whatever it is you want to go and study as an artist, you ask for, and they, they make it all come together for you. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty incredible. I, I will say one of the things that surprised me was, was all the training that you talked about in your first few weeks there, you know, how to fix a snowmobile, how to pitch a tent in a blizzard. I, I'm just curious, like, were you... Were you expecting that? And, and, and can you talk a little bit about that experience? Absolutely. You know, it's one of those things where it doesn't really dawn on you, or at least it didn't dawn on me fully till really down there, just how isolated and vulnerable you are and in actually grave peril should anything go dramatically wrong on your visit. And there can be winds so high, even in the summer season on the continent, that they cannot get planes to and from Antarctica for a week or two at a time. So were there to be a very bad accident, you could be stuck with, you know, the medical facilities of, you know, just like a small clinic to take care of you. So um, they're, they're very rigorous even before you go down with getting all kinds of doctors and dental records. And then upon arrival, there's just an enormous battery of trainings and tests and um, presentations to make sure you're behaving as safely as possible and equipped for, uh, you know, as they call it, whiteout conditions, which can arise sort of in, in less than an hour's time out of nowhere. So um, wow. it is... Yeah. It is it is pretty raw in a way that's hard to fully appreciate when we live in a you know <laughs> live in a first world nation where uh, help is just a simple nine one one call away and 
Yeah. I mean, I, another thing I was fascinated by was, uh, well, I, I spent a little time on your Tumblr page, which is so great. And, uh, I, I was fascinated by the specific gear you had to pick up in New Zealand and especially the bunny boots. Can you tell us a little bit about why you had to take special care of them on airplanes? Yeah. Um, as we were preparing to leave New Zealand, uh, there was all kinds of kind of offhand information that they were just throwing out there. And most everyone had been down to Antarctica many times, but it was my first time. And already I was trying to digest so much new information. And very casually, the guy handing out these huge white eight-pound inflatable white bunny boots said, oh, yeah, don't forget to open the valves so your boots don't explode on the plane, which <laughs> seemed like something that maybe they should have emphasized even more directly and not just muttered as they passed them across the table to me. But uh, the boots are pressurized, and it's actually the, I guess, the air air cushions inside that keep them warm. But uh, because you take a, you know, only semi-pressurized military jet to Antarctica, uh, the boots are in danger of exploding from the pressure change on the plane if you don't open these little mini air valves on them. That's so crazy. And the idea that these things called bunny boots are so dangerous is amazing to exactly. me. Exactly. <laughs> it's the case of the exploding bunny boots. <laughs> you know, it was really fun looking at so many of your photos from the trip. And one of the things that struck me was just how intense the sun looks. And I was curious to hear, you know, what was it like to be in constant daylight and was it tough to figure out you know tricks to going to sleep each night totally yeah you know everyone talks and imagines you know if you live in scandinavia or antarctica like how horrible it must be when it's dark all the time but the truth is it's actually equally horrible to have it be light all the time and not just sort of light i mean like high noon light all the time and um some of my stay i was actually living in a tent which meant There was was just no way for it to not be so glaringly bright. And that light is bouncing off all the ice and the snow. And you do, you, you do start to get fatigued and just longing for one night of real darkness and, and sleep. Um, and the times that I was in kind of a little hut or dorm situation, I got so desperate that I actually took the wool blanket and took kind of like thumbtacks and tacked it over the window to try to block all the different cracks of light that kept coming in. It was so kind of enervating by several weeks deep into it. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's insane. Yeah. But the other thing that happens is it's very easy to lose track of all time because the sun isn't moving. And so um, particularly at night, it was, you know, you'd be hanging out with people talking and drinking and you would feel like, oh, it's probably like 7 or 8 p.m. and it's actually 2 in the morning and you've totally lost track of all all passage of time. It it does really mess with, with your mind. So uh, I saw on your Tumblr that you visited an Antarctica Latin club. And I was curious, what are some of the other fun uh, recreational activities we might not have heard about? Oh, totally. There, it, it, It's kind of like... Oberlin, but with like weirder, really cool adults. I mean, every night were probably 15 or 20 different clubs or activities that you could do that were all just being voluntarily taught by the awesome people of Antarctica who wanted to share their talents and entertain each other. So everything from every kind of sport you can imagine to, you know, knitting club, guitar club, chess club, 
Um, people would give just lectures and presentations on things that they were themselves studying. Uh, and even people not showing up for clubs were always up to something really weird. There was this very introverted woman who I always saw like running around with pieces of PVC pipe and they were all laid out on this desk. And I finally stopped in to ask what was going on. And she goes, Oh, oh, you know, I'm, I'm assembling a PVC harp. <laughs> like a, a, a PVC harp. She was like, "Oh yes, I'm sure you you haven't heard of that. It's that you can make a harp out of PVC." <laughs> no, I wasn't. I wasn't familiar, but I love that you are committed to doing this down in your free time on Antarctica. So. Oh, that's pretty great. Now, do you, do you think you'll have the chance to get back anytime soon? You know, this is the saddest thing of at least the way that I went is. I don't know that I will ever get to go back again. And pretty much any other place any of us will go in our lives, you know, if you love it, you're like, oh, I can't wait to go back with my sister or my friend or my partner. But this is an experience that I don't know that I will ever get to go have again. So leaving was incredibly sad. Um, I will say there's just an incredible global society of of what are called ice people and it basically means that you lived on Antarctica at some point and there's just this deep understanding and familiarity when you meet another ice person in the real world and I've stayed even now several years later in very very close contact with a number of really dear friends I made while down there and uh, I, I think there's something in that that connection that we all have shared this weird world. What would you want to experience again? Oh, wow. I, I, just the vastness and the untouchedness. Like, I've, I am a big traveler and I've been to incredible places like the Sahara, the Himalayas, but even they just have no, the sense of scale in Antarctica is something so staggering and beyond anything that I had ever witnessed in my life. And again, besides outer space, I don't think there's anything you could see that would make you feel just so totally dwarfed as a human. Um, in a way that I find just totally freeing and exciting and so beautiful to see so much of the world that the, in fact, probably the only last part of the world that we haven't managed to pave over or, or destroy in some way. Well, you'll be happy to know that in one week we've uh, spoken with an astronaut and now uh, someone who's been to Antarctica. I didn't even realize, I didn't even think about that, but in, in one in one week. So we, we spoke to uh astronaut Chris Hadfield from uh, from Canada on an episode about Canada. But, you know, for all of our listeners out there, I hope you'll check out Jen's book, We Mammals in Hospitable Times. It's a it's a terrific book. And, and Jen, thanks so much for joining us on Part-Time Genius. Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create.
Welcome back to Part-Time Genius, and we're talking Antarctica. So, Will, you said you had a funny penguin story to tell? I do, and this is from Maggie Kurth-Baker, and it's a piece on Boing Boing. But, you know, in the early 1900s, as Robert Scott was making his way to the South Pole, he was accompanied by this surgeon named George Levick. And most of the team's observations were printed up in the team's official journals, all except this one section of Levick's notes explicitly describing penguin sex. And apparently Levick witnessed penguin on penguin acts so depraved that while he felt he had to document them, he wrote them all in Greek rather than English. <laughs> I don't know why that makes it better, but it, it's only recently that they've been discovered and added to the journals. But on the topic of sex, maybe now's a good time to talk about Tinder. You know, no, not Tinder. <laughs> I was actually going to say how Chile and Argentina have tried to use pregnancies to their territorial advantage, but now I'm curious what you have to say about Tender. So this is kind of a ridiculous story, but Nolan found this bit about an American scientist who decided to log on to Tinder in Antarctica. And at first, no one showed up on his radar. But when he widened the radius, he found a match of 45-minute helicopter right away. Uh, unfortunately, the scientist he was chasing was in the field and couldn't meet up. And they only met very briefly on the day she was leaving Antarctica. As he told the cut, quote, I have yet to become the first Tinder hookup in Antarctic history, but she's actually coming back and we may overlap. There's still hope. He's just a romantic, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, that's got to be pretty good press for Tinder, though, wouldn't you think? And You know, that you can find love or, or, or lust, whatever it is, on any continent. Yeah, but, but the scientists wanted to stay anonymous because you're not supposed to be taking up airways with social apps, I guess. Like, the Internet's this prized commodity down in Antarctica, and Netflixing or using apps isn't really possible because it takes too much bandwidth. But let's talk Chile and Argentina. That's a bummer. You can't use Netflix there. I didn't mm-hmm. know that. All right. So, so, so back to this topic. So we've already said Antarctica doesn't really have towns, but Chile and Argentina have each set up the closest thing to that. So Chile has Villa Las Estrellas and Argentina has Esperanza. Both areas have between 50 and 80 people living there during the winters. They both have schools, gyms, medical facilities. But as the New York Times points out, both of these so-called towns were clear attempts to lay claim to Antarctica, you know, should the Antarctic Treaty be renegotiated. And the fact that the two countries are regional rivals only made the situation worse. Like when Pinochet made a visit to Antarctica in the 1970s, Argentina felt like they were losing the upper hand. So soon after his visit, they quietly sent a pregnant woman in her third trimester so she could give birth to the first, quote, native Antarctican. <laughs> and according to Alice Obscura, the joke was that, you know, after they heard this, Chile started sending down couples to conceive the first baby in the region. Since, you know, some people think that birth starts at conception there, but <laughs> it's Argentina who's taken it the farthest. In Argentina, it's illegal to show a map of the country that doesn't include the section of Antarctica that they consider theirs. How bizarre is this? That's so crazy. So I actually want to switch gears and talk entertainment. But before we do that, should we talk about why we're both so terrified of the continent? And that's, you know, some of those early explorer stories. Yeah, well, the early explorer stories are definitely terrifying. And, And not only were they wearing things like wool clothing, which really just absorbed the snow and kept them damp, but but they couldn't stop being cold. Like this guy, Apsley Cherry Garrard, who sailed with Captain Scott to the South Pole, he said this about his teeth, quote, the nerves of which had been killed, split to pieces from the chattering. Oh. Yeah, his account in the Antarctic trip was titled The Worst Journey in the World. <laughs> yeah, he definitely wasn't glancing. Yeah, and you don't have to go that far back to see how dangerous it can be. Like in 2014, the British Halley 6 research station lost its power. 
And that is terrifying there. The closest help was like 1,800 miles away in the Falkland Islands. There was no sun. The temperature was negative 67 degrees Fahrenheit, and the winds were crazy. The only thing that worked was a single satellite phone. But the staff somehow managed to patch the problem in 19 hours and get limited electricity back. Of course, they kind of dismissed it as being a, you know not that big of a deal, and the station's electrician tweeted, Got internet, lots of Yorkshire tea, and a big kettle. Really, what, what more do you need? Well, I, I love that he was so calm. I, I was chatting with Noland, our researcher, about this, and he was saying the worst story he read was about this Australian explorer, Douglas Mawson. This is back in 1912, and I, I'm going to tell the story here. So Mawson's this superstar geologist, and he turns down Robert Scott's expedition to lead his own. But his story is so tragic. His timing was horrible, right? Like, the blizzards were constant, and winds off the coast were anywhere between 50 and 200 miles per hour. He split up his group into different assignments, and he led a three-man party to map the far eastern shore. This was the most difficult of the journeys. He was trying to map glaciers hundreds of miles away, and so everything terrible happens. They make it about 300 miles out pretty smoothly, and then some weird superstitious things happen. Like this petrel, which is this bird you never see this far inland, comes out of nowhere and just crashes into their sled, and one of the huskies eats her young. Oh. One of his colleagues gets snow blindness, then a 150-foot crevice opens up and swallows that colleague. Good God. Yeah, as well as, like, their supplies and a dog. The elements are just against them. Then there's more snow blindness, their dogs die, they run out of food, so they have to eat their dogs. Mawson's other colleague falls sick, and he carries him along even though he has a fever and dysentery, and despite all his best efforts in trying to carry him, the pal passes away. Mm. So Mawson's basically alone at this point, and he's weak and damaged too, but he somehow makes it to this cache of supplies at this location called Aladdin's Cave. And when he's there, another blizzard comes through, and he's trapped for five more days. But when he finally makes it back to camp to meet up with the other teams, it's just in time to see that the expedition's ship has left for Australia. The crew had actually waited for him, but now he's watching the ship sail away, and he has to stay in Antarctica for another winter before he returns home. And then the commercial ends, and it says, come to Antarctica. (laughs) I mean, that is miserable. And and you're right, the elements just feel so raw and vicious. But I, I think we should lighten this up a little bit with some events to put on your calendar if you're headed to Antarctica. So, all right, here's a few of them. If you like music, there's Ice Stock, which is Antarctica's Woodstock. There's barbecue and bands and people in costumes there. There's also Freezing Man, which is Antarctica's Burning Man. <laughs> Midwinter Day is a big deal. It's a celebration held halfway through the miserable winter when everyone huddles and watches The Shining, apparently. I don't know why they do this. <laughs> Then there's the Ross Cup, where once a year the Americans play scientists from New Zealand and rugby. And, of course, the Kiwis always slaughter the Americans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, personally because they actually know how to play rugby, <laughs> but also they do that intimidating haka dance that we've seen before. This is, you know, all before they hit the field. That's pretty great. And there's one other tradition I actually love, and it's the moving of the South Pole. What? How's that work? Well, it's because the ice shifts, and so the marker for the South Pole moves about 25 or 30 feet every year. So there's this big ceremony that everyone from the South Pole station attends and the South Pole is recalibrated and then a new pole is placed in that location. Those are also fun. So I also looked into some of the more standard things you could do, like people play cards and board games. Argentina also just set up this new movie theater. This might be part of their ploy to seem like it's a real town because they also bring directors and actors there to talk about the films and they premiere new movies. 
which are all subtitled for visitors. But all the bases also have some version of the 300 Club, which is where you sit in a sauna that's 300 degrees hotter than the temp outside. Then you run through the snow naked or do a polar plunge and then rush back in. I guess it's supposed to be exhilarating. I just, I've never understood the whole, like, polar bear plunge oh, thing that happens in so many places. And it just sounds even worse here. But <laughs> So I, w- I was reading on Slate, there's an Antarctic saying that if it's 20 below and the wind ain't blowing, it ain't bad. It sounds bad, though. <laughs> yeah, I can't say that I would agree with that statement. <laughs> but the strangest mundane thing I found that's actually no longer there was a two-lane bowling alley at McMurdo Station. Can you imagine bringing all that wood down and materials to build a bowling alley? Yeah, it's crazy. It's yeah, it's kind of insane. But I, I I found the photos on Laughing Squid. The alley was built in 1961 and lasted for almost 50 years. It's funny. It used this uh, Brunswick manual pin set system where an employee had to pick up the fallen pins by hand and also send your bowling ball back to you down this ramp. And when they finally tore it down in 2009. It was the only manual pin set system of that type left in the world. Oh, man, that's kind of a kind of a shame. So, so why did they end up tearing it down? Well, eventually the wood on the lanes wore down and replacing the bowling alley was just too expensive. Yeah. So they've turned it into a curling club. And I, yeah, <laughs> I would guess that ice is a little bit easier to maintain. And, you know, what I found really interesting was just how much responsibility bartenders have in Antarctica. I mean, it, it's actually kind of an important job. Why is that? Well, obviously, people want to drink. I mean, there's little else to do, so having a good barkeep is comforting. But, you know, even though people aren't driving drunk, there are real dangers to drinking in Antarctica. I was reading this account of a scientist who worked as the volunteer bartender at Club 90 South. And this is a bar at the South Pole Station. And this is how he's quoted in The Guardian. It says, I made it a point of honor to be the last person to leave the club each night. I learned to spot the signs that someone was likely to wander drunkenly into the Antarctic night, and I heard too many stories of people returning to base with hypothermia and frostbite. My theory was it's easier to recover from too much drinking than to grow back a missing limb. (laughs) I was happy only when everyone was safely tucked up and accounted for, even if it meant leaving them passed out on the bar's couch. I mean, with that blinding snow, it's supposedly really easy for people to get lost. I, I, I read this account from the National History Museum where the scientists talked about how he and a colleague walked just 200 yards to get snow samples. And they thought they were walking parallel to this seismic tunnel. And then they crossed it and almost fell in. Oh, my gosh. And they, they weren't even sloshed. They were, like, totally sober. So I'm really glad the bartenders take it upon themselves to watch over their patrons. Yeah, no kidding. But By the way, the strangest thing I read about drinking in Antarctica was that people often go outside to be sick, but the stuff freezes as soon as it touches the ice. Ugh. So people are expected to clean up after themselves with pickaxes to chip that frozen grossness away and then throw it out. <sighs> it's so gross. <laughs> All right. Well, on the flip side of that, one thing I didn't expect to find in Antarctica was so many beautiful churches. Definitely. So I saw this gallery of seven churches in Antarctica at Messy Messy Chick, and they were all gorgeous. My favorite was this beautiful Russian Orthodox church that's a wooden structure. Like, you wouldn't think that would last through those winds, but it somehow survived. It's like the other miracle on ice. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there are all sorts of these churches. There's there's a Catholic church that was built in an ice cave. This Bulgarian church that's basically under the snow, you know, except for the church bell. And it's kind of a sweet thing that they ring it with some frequency, you know, especially when you consider it was built for a four-member Bulgarian team. (laughs) There's some interfaith churches. You know, the priest is happy to conduct both Buddhist and Baha'i services as well. Well, I I think we've covered where to get sozzled and where to get saved. But I know we want to talk about why plumbers are the real heroes of Antarctica, or at least I do. So let's take a quick break and then discuss... 
Select has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with Watson X Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM. Let's create. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. Now, before the break, Mango, you were making some pretty big statements about plumbers in Antarctica. I was. Uh, I, I was reading about Brendan Hopkins, who's this Australian plumber at the Casey Station, and he was talking about how he's tricked out the pipes so they don't freeze in this crazy climate. I mean, that's an important thing. And so for most of the pipes, water is constantly running through them, but that isn't the case with the sewer lines. So it's really complicated when you hit the flush. Like, to keep the sewer pipes from freezing... His team runs these electric cables around the pipes just to heat the pipes. And because no waste can be left in Antarctica, he's built this crazy wastewater treatment plant that filters the waste multiple times with microbes. And there's even this additive that he uses to help package and reduce the waste so it can be shipped off the continent. He has this pager set up just to wash the sewer systems at all times because fixing it is an enormous task. But the one perk that the electricians and plumbers get is uh, taking turns brewing beer. While they're supposedly sworn enemies in their natural habitat, according to Brendan, they get along swimmingly in Antarctica. <laughs> That's pretty fun. And, you know, I actually think being a chef down there is pretty darn heroic as well. In fact, it's an honor to be chosen to cook at the Concordia base there, you know, since you actually have to win a lottery to work at the French and Italian base. Huh. But before you can even put your name in, you have to demonstrate a mastery of numerous international cuisines. And you have to be a workhorse. I mean, you're making all three meals a day by yourself for the crew there. Wow. But the cook seems to love the high-pressure environment, and the food is top-notch. Lonely Planet calls it the best cuisine in Antarctica, with the seven-course Sunday lunches being the absolute highlight. Well, speaking of absolute highlights, you know what time it is. Time for the PTG Fact Off. Let's do it. Do you know that Antarctica is one of the best places in the world to find meteorites? Apparently, that snow-white landscape is perfect for finding space junk. I mean, everywhere else in the world, it's so much more difficult. Oh, that's interesting. Well, uh, I've got one here. So Metallica once played a concert in Antarctica, and they did this just to be the first band to play on all seven continents. Pretty impressive, <laughs> huh? Yeah, Metallica's so cool. Do you know what small icebergs are called? I don't. They're called growlers. They're usually the size of a grand piano or a truck. And if you want to upgrade to a medium-sized iceberg, those are called bergy bits. Bergy bits. <laughs> nice. Well, according to Australia's government site, doctors who winter in Antarctica must have their appendix removed before traveling there. That's because they don't want anyone having appendicitis while there. Oh, that, that's crazy. So... 
This summer, an Edinburgh Geographic survey found 91 volcanoes hiding two kilometers under the ice in Antarctica. It's apparently the largest volcanic region on Earth. All right, well, when scientists discovered a new species of Yeti crab living in the thermal vents under Antarctica, they were so impressed with its hairy chest that they named it for David Hasselhoff. <laughs> it's affectionately known as the Hoff Crab. Oh, the Hoff Crab. I've actually seen that critter, and I think it's way better looking than its namesake. <laughs> but I do love that fact. So why don't you take home today's trophy? I can do that. All right, well, that's it for today's show. If you have any Antarctica facts you're dying to tell us, don't forget you can always drop us a line on our 24-7 fact hotline, one eight four four pt genius or email us at parttimegenius at howstuffworks.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. <laughs> Jerry Rowland does the exact producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eve Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Did we, did we forget Jason? Jason who? the question diamonds direct has an offer you can't miss this month only buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at two thousand dollars imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once no one provides education selection and value like diamonds direct your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at diamonds direct won't last long details at diamondsdirect.com your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings.